contest kiss. From this Sunday forward, Tom will be turning the pulpit over to me. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Darn. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, so we just wanted to take a couple hey, minutes um, to explain um, the, some, some opportunities coming up over the summer. It's important that, that we spend just a couple minutes explaining some great uh, opportunities for families to serve together with, with children and youth, if you're interested, also for, for our body. You may have seen in the current, uh, you'll see it front and center this morning, also last week. Uh, our church has been supporting uh, one of our missionary families, the Darrows. We've been supporting their work down in the Kensington section of Philadelphia for over 20 years now. And um, year after year, it's been about two years now since we've come alongside them for, for their annual block party, but year after year, we've, we always send teams down to help, uh, help them facilitate their annual block party, an event that they close down the whole block in Kensington to, um, to have this huge event, this huge outreach event to engage and connect with the community around them. So we're going to be going down again and sending whoever's interested throughout the church on Sunday, June 24th. So um, if you are interested, please sign up online. And uh, we'll probably be uh, helping facilitate some of the, the games or the blow-ups or the blow-up events or, or the, the water games or doing some serving. But we'll probably all caravan down there after the first or second service. We'll send you the details after you sign up. And um, that's the first event that's coming up that we want to draw your attention to. And then secondly, um, these, these next three opportunities throughout the summer, specifically designed for, for families to be serving with, with their children together, um, and really any age. So families can also come help out at the block party. But um, these next three uh, events, scheduled June 27th, July 25th, and August 15th, Cornerstone Church, the church on the 24th that's hosting the block party, they planted a church down in South Philly several years ago, like six years ago. And it's in such a strategic area of the city of Philadelphia because they're right on one side of this park, this community park, and um, it's surrounded by, by enclaves of people groups from all over the world, from some of the most unreached places in the world, in Southeast Asia and Africa, uh, Latin America. And so it's an extraordinary ministry. On Wednesdays, every Wednesday throughout the summer, we've scheduled to, to uh, help facilitate three of them. But every Wednesday, they, they, they facilitate their, um, they conduct their, their kids' clubs outdoors in the park so it draws out families from all the communities surrounding the park and it's a really cool opportunity for families to get involved uh, with their children of any age if they're too young to help serve they can participate and sit in with the kids that'll be um, a part of the clubs that night and there'll be bible teaching uh, operating games and and arts and crafts and stuff and it, i think it goes from like six to seven thirty again we'll reply to your email after you sign up um, with some specific logistical stuff and travel information and all that. But these are four great opportunities uh, for your family to serve together, uh, for us to serve as, a, as one family together uh, in cross-cultural ministry. And um, we encourage you all to consider participating. The Regal family, who's participated in several of these events before in the past, they'll be out in the lobby for anyone who's interested. Uh, they have flyers, and they can help answer some questions you may have. Otherwise, check it out online. You can sign up for more than one event, and we encourage you all to consider participating. Thanks.
Thank you, Austin. A number of folks have asked, you know, how can we get our families involved, like Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's a great opportunity. They have thousands of people come to these block parties and so forth. So be praying, and if that's something you feel led to do, we'd love to have you involved. Don't forget the women are starting a women's study this Wednesday night, ladies, at 7 o'clock here at the church. They're starting a study of the book of Jonah on the depths of God's grace. So while we're on the subject of Bible study, if you'll turn in your Bible to the book of Numbers, chapter 25, welcome you if you're visiting with us. Be sure to raise your hand if you don't have a Bible or you would like to have one. You're welcome to keep the Bible. We give them away. We encourage you. So many of us nowadays have grown up in a church where you really didn't learn much from the Bible. thought you did, but like me, I didn't really have a clue until I started attending a church where they read and taught right from the Bible. So we hope you're learning to read the Bible and, and finding that it's, it's very, very relevant and it's God's truth for us today. So we're studying through the book of Numbers and the last couple of weeks we've been talking about Balaam in chapters 22 through 24. There's this bright section of this kind of sad book of, of Israel's failure because Balaam continues to prophesy of the Lord's blessing on his people, of the coming of the Messiah. But now we go right back in chapter 25 to a really sober passage where the children of Israel fall right back into sin. I want to start by reminding you of something. Think about this. When you become a Christian, Satan marks you out as, as his enemy because prior to that, you were going to hell with him. When you become a Christian, the Bible says we have been delivered from the power of Satan to the power of God, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. So Satan and his demons are always looking to turn Christians away from the Lord. And so the Bible says we shouldn't be ignorant of his schemes. And there are many things that he does. He can use persecution from without, but he's clever. And so we might think of chapter 25 as, as something like this. In 22 through 24, Satan was trying to turn the Lord against his people. Now in chapter 25... He turns his people against the Lord. So as we begin the book, it's interesting that chapter 25.1 talks about the people playing the harlot with the daughters of Moab. So let's kind of get a framework where we are. Remember, God calls Moses out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They come down to Mount Sinai. About two years, they get the Ten Commandments, and God makes a covenant. You're going to be my people. Here's my laws. And and they agreed, a covenant is an agreement, they agreed, all that you say, Lord, we will obey you, we will not kill, we will not commit adultery, and God says, and I'm going to take you up in the promised land, and you're going to be the light to the world, and the nations are going to come and find me through you, but because of their disobedience, we've read the book of Numbers for 38 years, they're wandering around, people are dying off, now they're up at the end there, they're on the, the edge of the Jordan River, they're ready to cross back over into the land, and the last couple of weeks, we saw that Balak, the, the, the Midianite king and the Moabites have been trying to curse God's people, but the Lord wouldn't allow it. So the last verse of chapter 24 says, Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. What we learn from other New Testament passages, he must not have gone right home. Because at the end of the day, Balak, when he hired Balaam, he said, look, I'm going to give you a bunch of money if you just mess up God's people. Balaam kept trying to curse them, and God wouldn't let him. 
But now he comes up with another idea, and we learn this from the New Testament. I can't get God against them, but I can turn them against God. And so what he did is he went back to Balak, and he said, hey, man, I got an idea. Take your most beautiful women, your Moabites and Midianite women, and just have them come and take a visit into the camp of the Israelites and meet the boys. And then invite them back. Hey, sailor. Hey, soldier. Why don't you come back to my place? Bring them back into your people. And pretty soon, we're going to form relationships with unbelievers. And they're going to be sleeping together. And they're going to be married. And man, once you got that going on, then you can turn their hearts away from the Lord. And they'll start worshiping our God. And, and the true God, the God of Israel, will be angry with his people. What a a deceitful and clever work of Satan. So let's begin this passage in chapter 25 when it says, while Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Now again, we get a lot more information from the New Testament. Balaam actually taught the, the, the Moabites, this is what you do. Just send your beautiful women in there and draw them away. And many a good Christian person has fallen away from God through the influence of the opposite sex. Well, once they invited them to start dating and, and fornicating, it was easy then to invite them to the sacrifice of their gods. They invited people to the sacrifice of their gods. And note, the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Now, they had already agreed with God. We promise we will have no other gods before you. We won't commit adultery. We'll do what's right. Doesn't look like, to me, they're keeping their word. So then it says, so Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Now, remember that phrase, Peor, because that's all through the Old Testament. This, this event that happened. This is a, an important event in the history of the nation of Israel. Now, understand that there's a million, over a million Israelites, so it's not all of them. They're not all doing this. But many of them who were calling themselves followers of the Lord... We're, we're led astray by these women, and before you know it, they're full out worshiping Baal. And Baal, the, the, the Baal cult in the Old Testament was Israel's biggest opposition. They practiced prostitution as a form of worship. Baal was the god of fertility, so when you worship Baal, you slept with prostitutes. They did disgusting things like sacrifice their children to the gods, Baal and Molech. And so this brought the Lord's anger. As he watched what happened, the Lord was angry against Israel. And this is a reminder that sometimes we, you know, people form their own view of God. Well, I like to think of God as, and, and the Bible never says, like to think of God as, right? God's not something we imagine in our mind. God is God. And he says, I'm going to tell you what I'm like. I'll reveal myself to you. And one of the things we learn from the Bible is that sin angers God. He loves people, but he hates sin. A lot of people have never even thought about that, the wrath of God, the anger of God. And when God gets angry, there are times that he very patiently restrains punishment. So the Bible says the Lord is not willing that men should perish. In Ecclesiastes, it says, because God doesn't execute sentence immediately, People are bent on doing evil. In other words, it shouldn't surprise us when God breaks forth in wrath and punishes someone for sin. What should surprise us is how rarely he does that, right? 
We're shocked if God strikes somebody when what we should be shocked at is how patiently he waits. But we don't want to confuse his patience and his absence. And so he's angry. So what's going to happen? The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord. Now, I don't think they were just indiscriminately grabbing every leader, although some commentaries suggest that. Hey, it's the leader's fault. They should have restrained the people. I think we're going to read the next verse. I think it was the leaders who were, who were participating in this. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Now, that, that's like, what? That's so harsh. But understand a, a couple background things. This is something that the people had covenant with God. We won't do this, right? And the reason for God's severity here is because sin left unchecked doesn't just harm the sinner. The consequences begin to damage other people. So this was to turn away the fierce anger of the Lord because ultimately God's going to destroy everybody because of their rebellion. And this is going to spread. This is going to multiply. Every day, more guys are like, hey, you ought to come to the Baal sacrifice. You want to have some fun? Come on, don't go down the straight and narrow. You ought to, hey, my girl's got a, a cousin you need to meet, right? Now, if that's not bad enough, think about this. So everyone who had a tenderness toward God was sad about this. Imagine parents finding out that their kid's sleeping with a Moabite. Imagine the leaders going, oh my word, the Lord's going to be so angry. So, so, and this has always been the case, that people who care about God get grieved about sin. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so there were a lot of people who were gathering at the tabernacle to weep and mourn and pray for their people. And by the way, that's what we should do for our country. We should mourn and pray for America. We're not some great Christian nation. America's a mess. And, and though there are many Christians in America, we need to pray for our nation. So while these people are weeping and mourning and, and begging God's mercy, along comes a guy named Zimri. Now, there are different types of sinners. Many sinners are what we would call secret sinners. Most people are ashamed of sin. They don't flaunt their sin. They sin in secret. They love the darkness. There's, there's, there's a, you know, you can act good in public, but your secret life. But some people become so brazen in their sin that they flaunt it. The Bible calls this in Philippians, men who glory in their shame. Some people are unashamed of their sin. In fact, if you look at the political agenda and some of the agendas that are being pushed in American culture with great zeal, right? Do, come out, do what you want, right? In Romans chapter 1, it says, men who practice such sins, they know that what they're doing is worthy of death, but they not only do it, but they heartily approve others. So, so this guy is Zimri, who's a Jew, right? He's one of those flagrant, in-your-face sinners. How dare Zimri do this? While the people are weeping and mourning in the presence of God, he goes, and, and he's one of the leader's kids, he goes and gets his Moabite girl, his girl Cosby, his little, his little honey, right? And he brings her back into the camp in front of everybody and boldly just comes flaunting her and bringing her into his tent for a good time and 
What are you going to do about it? You don't like it? Things have changed. We don't do it that old-fashioned way anymore. Watch this. It says, Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman. Hey, Mom, Dad, want you to meet my girl here. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, while they're weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting, they're wiping their eyes out, and they're looking up and going, What? Well, one of those guys that's weeping was a, a fellow by the name of Phineas. He's a pretty famous guy. In Jewish lore, he's, it's Moses' is guy number one, Aaron's guy number two, and Phineas is number three. Phineas is, is Aaron's grandson. Aaron's a high priest. Eliezer's his son. Phineas is the grandson. He'll be a priest, a high priest someday. So, look at this, verse 7. When Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, Everybody else is just looking like they're stunned. Like, I can't believe this guy's doing that. Like, I saw something happen one time. This professing Christian guy was playing a sports game. He just starts cursing the F-bomb, screaming, cursing the F-bomb. The world just like, what? what? And he just goes walking off, and everybody just stares at him. I mean, this guy just flagrantly sinning. Look what Phineas does. He rises from the midst of the congregation, and he took a spear in his hand. You're like, oh, that can't be good. But by the way, remember this, that the priest's job was to protect the tabernacle. They were kind of like tabernacle police. God had said, if anybody breaks through and tries to go into the tabernacle, put them to death to, to abate my wrath. So Phineas grabs his spear. Meanwhile, Zimri and Cosby are already in their tent, having a good time. Well, it was going to go downhill for them quickly, because it says he went after the man of Israel into the tent. And you can use your imagination what was going on. And he pierced both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through the body. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yep. What happened when that happened? So, the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. What plague? God was so angry by the sin that was going on. Thousands of people were dying by the moment. And it was spread and people were, as, as they say, when they said back during the plague, dying in piles, right? And boom, he pierces them through. And suddenly, the plague stops. The anger of the Lord was turned away by this action. Remember this. God says, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. This isn't the first time that somebody interceded or God was going to wipe them all out, right? Those who died by the plague were 24,000. And you're like, well, how did God feel about that? I bet you he was upset with Phineas. Actually, uh, no. God speaks to Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath. God's going to give him a shout out. He's going to commend him. He turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel. Why did he do that? Oh, he's just an angry guy. No, he did that because he was jealous with my jealousy among them. Wait a minute, what does that mean? He had a zeal for God. He wasn't worried about pleasing people. He wasn't an angry, crazy nut. He loved God. He loved holiness. He knew that sin left unchecked is going to kill everybody. And so he says, God says, I'm praising him because if he didn't do that, I would have destroyed them all. But he says, he's turned away my wrath so that I didn't destroy them. This was a good thing that he did. Now, again, we have to learn how to interpret the Bible. 
I'm not suggesting that you and I get clubs and spears and go out and start beating people for their sin. But this is a big deal. The, the psalmist in Psalm 106 says, Phineas was reckoned for righteousness. The Jews exalted him. God promises him a special covenant because of this. Therefore say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace. God had said to Levi, and you can read it in Malachi 2, I make with you a covenant of peace. God gave him a special blessing. It shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and he made atonement for the sons of Israel. There's something about being committed to Christ where, where, where we have to learn how to be more concerned about what God thinks about us than what people think about us. He was concerned for God's reputation. He was concerned for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of God's people. He was willing to do something that probably wasn't popular. But it was a great act of mercy to spare many others. Now the name of the slain man of Israel who was slain with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salah, a leader of the father's household among the Simeonites. The name of the Midian woman who was slain was Cosby, head of the father's household in Midian. Now before the chapter ends, God says, listen, we got we to do a little bit more than this. These Midianites are evil. These people intentionally are doing this. This isn't just like, hey, live and let live. They are doing this on purpose to turn my people away from me. So then the Lord spoke to Moses, be hostile to the Midianites and strike them, for they've been hostile to you with their tricks, which with they have deceived you in the affair of Peor and the affair of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister who was slain on the day of the plagues because of Peor. When we come to chapter 31, you're allowed to read ahead. You'll see how Moses carried this out. You go, wow, that's a bummer. How was church today? Well, Jeremy did communion. He told us a bunch of mass shootings, and then Pastor Tom told us this story about people getting killed and all this sad stuff. As you're reading through the Bible, remember, the Bible's the word of God. All scripture is given to us, and it's profitable to teach us. And I was really encouraged. I was talking to one of our sisters last week at a, at a Bible study, and she said, you know, since we've been going through the Old Testament like this, I'm learning to see Christ. I, I, I'm not seeing the Old Testament as some disconnected book that's not, not part of the New Testament, but this is something as you're teaching your children, as you're reading through the Bible. Don't just go, I read my chapter a day to keep the devil away, right? If a bully comes after you, just like David, you know, throw a stone in their head or like Phineas, stab them. But, but somehow you stop and you go, all right, what does this do to point me as a Christian today to Christ? I mean, obviously, I got to look at Phineas and say, hmm, do I have a zeal for God? Do I care what people think about Christ? Am I willing to, to, to step out and, 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 and try to reach people maybe with the sword of the Spirit? So let me suggest a couple applications. Number one, it's always a good idea to learn from the mistakes of others. It's unfortunate that the guy in front of you bumps his head getting on the bus, but shame on me if I do the same thing because I don't learn something from him, right? So in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul refers to this passage. He says in, in, in verse 8, let us not act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. So he refers to this event. He goes, remember that Phineas story when 23,000 people died? He goes, learn from that. Look at verse 6. These things happened as examples for us. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want me to learn? 
We'll learn this. Verse 11, these things happen to them as example. They're written for our instruction. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, sometimes you read a story like, man, that Zimri's a moron. Why would he do something so stupid? I can't believe people turn away from God. Nobody plans to turn away from God, right? Nobody says, I think maybe in a couple months I'm going to turn away from God and do something hideous. It's usually very subtle, right? And some of you and me, we need to be reminded. We need to be exhorted like, hey, be on guard. Take heed lest you or I think, oh, I would never do anything stupid like that. You stop reading your Bible. You come to church once in a while. You start hanging with the wrong people. Before you know, any one of us, including me, can be dragged into things we would have never imagined. Just by the uh, quick side note, there's always people trying to contradict, just, just prove the Bible can't be true. Can't believe you read that old-fashioned book. The Bible's full of contradictions. I'll give you an example. Read Numbers 25. It says 24,000 people died. Ha, ha, ha. Look at 1 Corinthians. It says, don't act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 died. See, you can't believe the Bible. It's full of contradictions. Please stop talking. Twenty-three thousand fell in one day, but number says twenty-four thousand died. Yeah, it does, but it doesn't say in one day. So I got news for you: twenty-three thousand died in one day. The other thousand died after that. Now please stop talking. Because usually, when people are trying to find contradictions with the Bible, it's not an intellectual problem. It's a volitional problem. I don't want to obey God. I don't want to do what the Bible says. So it's a lot easier to say, the problem's the Bible, not me. So, just a good reminder. I read this story, I go, man, I need to remember this. And then remember this. Beware of the extreme danger of sexual sin. Like, we should talk about that. Everybody wants to talk about that. Why wouldn't we talk about that? The Holy Spirit doesn't leave the room when you talk about sex. God created sex. He created it for marriage. It's a blessing. It's a good thing. But sexual sin has ruined many a person, many a family, many a marriage, many a teenager. And so when the, the Bible was written, men like Solomon who had wisdom, they would take their young people and they would warn them and say, listen, I know porn and, and girls and, and that kind of stuff looks fun. And it is for a moment. So Solomon tells a story of a young man. He says, one time I saw this young boy and this married woman came up and said, hey, man, my, my husband's away for a while. Want to come back to my house? Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let's delight ourselves with caresses. A man's not at home. He's on a long journey. He won't come till the full moon. That might be 30 days later. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Now listen, when Bobby Boucher's mom told him women are of the devil, that's a lie. This doesn't just work one way, right? Guys do the same thing, right? So this isn't just like, beware of bad women. Beware of sexual sin, right? And then he says, suddenly he follows her. He doesn't realize he's gone to the slaughter until an arrow pierces his liver. Now, sons, listen to me. Pay attention. Don't let her, your heart turn aside. Don't stray into her past. Many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. So we just need to be reminded, hey, these people fell away from God because of sexual sin. Does that happen today? 
all over the place. And I'm going to say the next thing I'm going to say with great caution. But if you're married, what's he going to say? 1 Corinthians 7 says, let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her husband, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, the wife does. Look at verse 5. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Come together again lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So any spouse that's continually depriving their spouse of sex is potentially putting their spouse in danger of sexual temptation. Now, guys and, and wives, if your husband goes home and starts saying, you heard what the preacher said, call me and I'll come over and slap him personally. All right? Don't do that. This is not saying, tell your wife, girl, right? And there are many reasons. This is not something to treat. I, I say, I speak this with great caution. There's abuse. There's all kinds of situations. But don't just push it under the rug and go, well, you know, I just don't have sex with my spouse. You know, we just don't go there, right? Because you can see. The Bible, people go, oh, the Bible's not for today. I go, it's not? So if some of you are in a situation where, where, where something's gone on, right, be on your guard especially, lest Satan tempt you. Okay? And talk about these things. Get counseling. Get prayer, accountability, help. Right? This is not an easy passage. This isn't just like, hey, there's the solution. Right? But we're not going to just pretend that's not going on. So all of us, beware of the danger. And pray for me. I'm not up here going, you dirty sinners, you think about that. We all need prayer and careful caution. Third, you see, at some point these Israelites should have said, man, she might be pretty but she's going to drag me into sin. So the Bible tells us that when, when we're confronted with temptation, whether it's sexual or any other temptation, put to death. Deal drastically with it. The Bible uses phrases like, kill your sin, put it to death, make no provision for it. We have the Holy Spirit helping us, but we need to guard our hearts and watch. Paul says, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die, but if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body... People go, oh, pastor, I can't stop getting drunk. I can't stop smoking weed. I can't stop sleeping with my girl. I can't stop lying. I can't stop. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm born again. I'm saved. Well, what do you mean you can't stop? Sometimes I've said to people, if someone held a gun to you and said, I'm going to shoot you the next time you do that, you're going to die, well, then I'd stop. Well, then it's not that you can't stop. Apparently, there must be something else, right? So this is why Jesus used... Phrases like this, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to have one part of your body purse and your whole body going to hell. In other words, how radical are we, are we dealing with our sin? Now again, this isn't just willpower, like try harder, cut your hand off. Don't come with a bloody stump and say, do what you said, pastor. That's not what the Bible means. But, but the idea is that we need to really recognize that sin will destroy us. If we don't put sin to death and the lust of our flesh... It's going to drag us down. And some of you are like, why didn't somebody tell me this? There's mercy with the Lord. But some of you are going the wrong way or have already gone there, and there's mercy with the Lord if you come back to him. Third, there's always a danger of compromising morality for money. You're like, Tom, how do you get money out of that story? There was nothing about money there. Not there, but look what the New Testament says about Balaam. 
It, it speaks about false teachers who, verse 15, they forsake the right way and they've gone astray having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Both Peter and Jude said this, Balaam's sin was driven by his love for money. Look at Jude. Woe to them. He's talking about these wicked men. They have gone the way of Cain, and for pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. Every man has his price. So many sins. If you follow the trail, somewhere there's money involved. And so Paul tells us as Christians, those who want to get rich... Verse 9, fall into temptation and a snare and many harmful and foolish desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Pastor, you're telling me it's a sin to want to get rich? Now read it carefully. Does it say it's a sin to want to get rich? It doesn't say that. But there's a warning here. You're like, that's what we're about here. We're in a capitalistic society. It's a land of opportunity. Man, I could get the biggest house and the best car and the vacations this is what we're here for. Those who want to get rich, and I would especially encourage you young people as you choose a career, don't choose a career for money. So if you're driven by this great desire to make a bunch of money, mark this down. You're going to fall into temptation. It doesn't say it's a sin, but you're going to fall into temptation and a snare and many harmful and foolish desires. What do you mean? How many people do you know that never go to church anymore because of their job. Why? Well, I don't have time, man. I, I work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Okay. We all have 168 hours in the week. Anybody holding a gun to your head and saying, you have to work here where you can no longer be involved in church. You're saying it's a sin to work on Sunday. I didn't say that. I said people fall away from God all the time in the pursuit of money. And we need to be warned about that. For Paul says, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. Think about how easy it is to throw away your morality for a little bit of money. Just think, you know. If you're honest on your taxes, come on. I couldn't make a living, right? So just be careful. Yeah, I know. I know I... Working at the casino is, is lots of temptations, but, you know, it pays good money. Was it a sin to work at the casino? Just the big picture here is just think about how many people whose lives have been ruined who have said, ah, and don't give me that pious look. I know, Brother Allen, money doesn't make you happy because most of us are going, yeah, but I'd like to find out the hard way. Bling, bling, I'm not happy in my new two new beamers in my beach house. I'm not happy. There's a real temptation to just want to get a bunch of stuff, and we just need to be honest with that. You're not a sinner if you're rich. The Bible says, instruct those who are rich to be generous and ready to share. If you're here and you're rich, be generous and ready to share. Use your resources for Christ. Last thing, beware of anybody who can drag you down. You're like, that's right, Pastor. Once I get out of this building, I got my guard up. I'm surrounded by sinners. Listen, you're surrounded by sinners while you're here. And I want you to know something that's very important. Many a Christian has fallen into sin because of the influence of another professing Christian. It wasn't with some atheist. 
It was with someone from Bible study. And so Peter warned against this. And the Apostle John writes about one of the churches in Revelation that had some people who had come into the church. This is Jesus speaking. He says to this church, I have a few things against you because you have some people in your church. These aren't godless heretics. People in your church who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. These are people in the church. Listen, if you want to find a church that will tell you it's okay to live together, sleep together before you're married, they're out there. If you want to find a church that says you can be a practicing homosexual and a good Christian, they're out there. But just remember this, that we need to remember that people that, that call themselves Christians, we have to be careful. And so Peter, as, as he wrote, he encouraged people in his church he said, be careful of people who distort the scriptures to their destruction. They're like, oh, no, no, that's not what the Bible teaches, right? Not everyone who goes to a, to a singles group is going for the right reasons. Some girls come to church for the hymns. <laughs> and vice versa. You know what I mean. So Peter says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men. He's warning them about other Christians, not godless pagans. We just tend to let our guard down. You know, we're, we're over so-and-so's house, before we know it, having a few drinks, and then a few too many drinks, and yeah, listen, we can fall from our steadfastness. Now, as I close, the last thing I want you to do is go, that's why I don't talk to anybody, because I don't trust anybody. There's a <laughs> Judas out there, so I just beeline out of here when church is over. Something that struck me is when a new church is planted and there's a group of people planting a new church, guess what happens when a visitor comes in? All 20 people are like, great to have you. Good to see you. This is a great church. We want you to be here. You are so welcome. But as that church grows and there's more and more visitors coming in, pretty soon we're like, dang, I can't find any parking. And those people are in my seat. And after a while, now listen, after a while we lose that that freshness of saying, hey, we want to welcome sinners. This is a hospital. If I see somebody that I don't know, I want them to, to engage. I want to meet people. I want to welcome people into the church. And so as we go out, I want to encourage you, even today, look around, meet people. If you just come and sit and take off, God wants you to meet people and grow. But at the same time, if hearing this, you're like, I don't like that stuff, right? You're in the wrong place. Because the Bible says, in the last days, men will seek teachers according to their own desires, who will tickle their ears. But Paul told Timothy, don't do that. Preach the word and exhort and reprove and encourage and build people up. That's what we need, real genuine Christian community, to pray for one another. To, if you're struggling in your marriage, you're not alone. If you're struggling with addiction, you're not alone. If you're struggling with sexual sin and porn, you're not alone. If you're lonely or depressed or... or, or we're here to help each other to grow. And, and if you're not sure you're going to heaven, Christ wants to forgive you and save you, but you've got to come to him. You've got to talk to somebody. Let us know how we can help you. But thank God for passages like this. They say, Lord, thank you that you care for us. You love us. So please, put your sword down. Don't go out and stab someone who's being disobedient. 
But let's learn from passages like this that our Lord cares about us and he has our best interest in mind and turning away from sin and trusting in Christ and letting him direct our lives is always the best way. So let's pray together. Father, it's a challenging passage, sobering. But Jesus, you said, my sheep hear my voice. And true Christians, Lord, we want to hear your word, even though sometimes it's, it's, it's strong, but it's love. Thank you that you love us and you warn us and you care for us. There are many people who are struggling. Lord, encourage them to stay on the straight and narrow. Comfort them. Bring back those who have strayed. Lord, please don't let anybody go away in shame and guilt and despair. For you have promised, let the wicked forsake his way and return to the Lord and he will have mercy. If God has convicted you, just return to him this morning. Repent and come into the light and he will forgive you and heal you. Lord, thank you for our community. May we even reach out in love to one another as we leave and may you continue to help us to care for people that we haven't seen for a while. Help us to reach out and give them a call and shepherd them. And we pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.